Well, the scripture reading for today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you want to open your Bibles to that, and I will be reading from the New King James Version. So therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow, thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Thank you, Tracy. Shabbat shalom. A peaceful Shabbat. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like a peaceful Shabbat, does it? Um, that's why we are committed to emphasizing our basic message, and that is, Gat Yeshua. Um, if, uh, if you are interested in getting the word out through this medium, uh, we will have more t-shirts as time goes on. This was sort of a first run. I'm sure everybody knows where the message came from. Um, we were sitting in our outreach meeting um, a few weeks ago and uh, talking about going out, getting the word out, which, by the way, requires some chutzpah, you know. Um, we've have been praying and seeking God and praying and seeking God and reminding him as if he needed to be reminded that um, he is not willing that any should perish. The Lord doesn't want anyone to go into an eternity without him. And um, so God has been raising up a group of folks and our expectation is that those who are currently engaged actively in outreach, um, that we will be a framework that others can join onto and get connected. And I realize that 
Um, for some of us, the notion of outreach is about as appetizing as having a lunch of ground glass. Um, because we see ourselves as wholly inadequate. Who, me? Um, and, of course, the answer is, no, nah, no, not you. It's all about the Lord. As we understand who He is and connect with His heart, then what God gives us overflows. By the way, the I, I find that... Um, Soundbite got milk to be an absolute stroke of genius. Uh, obviously, poor grammar. I mean, can you imagine if they would have a slogan that says, Do you have milk? Uh, that would really fly over very well, wouldn't it? Uh, they, uh, they're competing with uh, the image battles with light beer and uh, absolute vodka. You know, they present this very uh, glamorous, sexy image. And uh, how does the milk industry come up against that? Well, they recruit celebrities and they put the white mustache on them to prove that these very special people drink milk. Therefore, you should be drinking milk too. Well, we don't have a group of celebrities. And we're not pitching milk. We're pitching something infinitely better. Because we have gotten Yeshua. We want more of Him. And we want this. We want Him to pour and pour and pour and pour until it overflows to other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pause for a minute and just ask the Lord's Blessing as we look into his word. Lord God, we stand before you in need of being filled to overflowing with your scripture, with the truth of your word. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you promised that as we come to you and we're thirsty, that you will give us water that will never leave us thirsty, but will always refresh us and that this water that you give us will flow from the inside out bubbling forth we pray Lord God that you would capture our attention today Lord capture our attention that we would hear your word and that we would be enthused and driven by your spirit into the action that you have for us Lord we would not be hearers of the word only but hearers and doers Thank you, Lord, and praise you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, ju just a word about this book of First Peter. Like everything else, there's one opinion on one hand, then one opinion on the other hand. Some folks say this is definitely written to a Jewish audience because he talks about the diaspora, the galut, the dispersion. And this is clearly a Jewish term because the Lord said to Israel, I will take you and I will cast you like seed. I, I will disperse you into all the nations. 
<clears throat> and he did an exquisite job. You find Jewish people everywhere, including Antarctica, uh, from New Zealand to uh, Norway, etc., etc. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's on one hand. On the other hand, there are terms that are clearly code word referring to Gentiles. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul uh, Peter refers to you guys uh, need to follow the Lord and away from the darkness that you are in because of your ignorance. And in Jewish setting in first century, the ones who were ignorant were not the Jews, but the Gentiles. Because the thinking was, uh, we have the Torah, we know and understand what we're supposed to do, and you, on the other hand, were worshiping these false gods. You had, had, had absolutely no clue. But in any event, whether it's for Jews or Gentiles, um, back then, it's for all of us today. Amen? Amen? And there's a ton in these verses. And I encourage you to read and, and meditate and ask the Lord to speak to you. What we're going to look at today is just uh, some highlights as I felt led by the Spirit to do. So please read it and dive into, into the Word of God. I wanted to begin, first of all, in verse 2, where Peter says, like newborn babies, crave or desire greatly pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews and also Paul's letter in Corinthians, you'll know that sometimes the notion of milk, spiritual milk, is, is not a complimentary thing. Um, in Corinthians, Paul says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are not ready. In other words, you are spiritually mature. And this even comes stronger in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And the implication in Hebrews, especially, is you guys are somehow, you slid back into the gaga, me, me, mama, moo, moo kind of a stage. Um, so Peter definitely doesn't have that in mind here. He's not saying uh, that we need to slide back into the baby stage of our spiritual relationship with God. Rather, what he's saying is we need, like babies, who may not be able to do quantum mechanics and, and nuclear physics and, uh, and mathematics and know everything that there is about European culture and so on and so forth, they do know one thing, and that is when they are hungry, they scream for it. Ah! I hope you have some eardrums left. They yell their lungs out to be given milk, and they're not satisfied until they've had all the milk that they feel like they need. 
they have enough good sense to pursue what they absolutely have to have in order for them to grow. And it's not as if it's really conscience, as if, as if they're having this major discussion among them, with themselves. You know, I, uh, I'm hungry, and so I need to scream to get a hold of Ma or Pa. And if I scream loud enough, Ma and Pa will come running eventually and eventually would feed me so that I'm satisfied and I have all the milk that I need so that my tissue and muscles and bones will grow. They don't go through all these. They have this instinctive sense. And part of what happens to us, folks, as we grow spiritually is we lose that basic sense that we need to be fed with the Word of God. Not once every Shabbat or a couple times a week, but that needs to be our steady diet. We crave for it. The Greek word there is desire greatly to deeply long for something with the understanding and implication of recognizing their lack. In other words... You want something because you know you really don't have it and you need it. And if we don't recognize our basic need for the Word of God, we will not invest time in reading and studying it. Now here's a caveat. Not to get us off the hook, but to learn to do what we are always supposed to do, and that is learn to give God control. And when we recognize that the Word of God is playing a minimal role in our life, we come screaming to Him. And we say, Lord God, for some reason that, yes, I know the reasons, I don't seem to be, I seem to be powerless to change my habits and make time to delve into, the, into your word. And I want to. Would you please bring about the transformation in me so that I get it, so that I change? I want to. I don't know how. I want the spiritual milk so that I can grow, so that I can grow into maturity in you, so that I can go, grow, and get to know you better and better. You want to say, I want that milk. Part of the message here, as it is throughout Scripture, is that not only got milk, but learned to give the milk away. Part of Peter's message here is that believers should not hoard the milk. You know, some uh, part of what happens is, is then when we get enthused in the Word of God, we dive into it, we learn the meaning, and, and, and we get all the riches, and it's good stuff, and we learn to apply it, and we stay within our ghetto. We stay within our ghetto because, you know, we want to share it with a brother or sister who are like-minded, who will exhort us and encourage us, and... And that's where we want it to stay. But the Word of God has to be, the milk of the Word has to fill, has to be filled to overflowing 
to where it spills to other people. And yes, I know that the word evangelism and outreach for a lot of us is a dirty word. Not literally dirty word, but a word that strikes fear in us to where we say, Who me? And the Lord in His amazing wisdom sometimes chooses to respond in the Jewish manner saying, Yes, you. Why not you? Peter says here in verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And here, of course, he is quoting from the preamble to the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus chapter 19. And unfortunately, a huge chunk of the rest of the body of Messiah, the church, looks at that as proof positive that now, right here in in Peter, it says that those who are followers of Yeshua are now the people of God. Ergo, that means that Jewish people no longer are. The so-called replacement theology or super cessationism, if you are into big, long theological terms. But you know, folks, God is not into subtraction. He is into addition. He wants to bring more and more and more people. So yes, He brought people out of the nations, Gentiles, and Jews to be part of his body, but Israel is still part of the people of God and he works with the nation to accomplish his work spiritually and physically. That is why each Shabbat we pray for the peace of Jerusalem because Israel, that little small sliver of land which, by the way, gets 5 billion birds flying over it every single year. Did you know that? I'm sure that's going to radically change your life, but we pray for the peace of Jerusalem um, because Israel needs God's shalom. I just uh, saw a clip this week that uh, Abbas was saying, "If if the United Nations does not recognize us, as a state, then we will begin this new campaign of resistance, active but not violent resistance, resistance against the nation of Israel, against the occupation. God has something to say about that. God has something to say about that. But what, what Peter is saying to all of us who are children of God is we are priests and let me just pause for a minute to give you a very basic definition of what a priest is a priest is not the basic definition of a priest is not someone who walks around with robes like Aaron and uh, and performs the sacrifices which they did the priest's role was twofold First of all, to be a mediator between people and God and then between God and people. What does that look like? First of all, 
when Aaron came before the Lord he inter- and Moses as well, although he's not a priest, they interceded for the nation. And part of our growth in our relationship with the Lord is learning to be intercessors. And you know, sometimes we get this notion that unless you are given this special, super-duper, wow, dazzling call from God to be a spiritual warrior, that you cannot be an intercessor. What Peter's saying here is that we are called to be priests and a Part one of this definition is that we intercede before the throne of God for those around us who don't know Yeshua. Family and friends. And then we also play a role, a mediating role between God and people and that is we share the word of God. Cannot share the word of God unless it is integrally part of who we are as we read and process it. You've, you've been called, Peter says in verse 9, to proclaim the excellence, magnificence of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's part of what the Lord has in mind, folks, for each one of us. What does that look like? Basic reality is that we come prepared everywhere we go to be God's servants. We are on assignment wherever we go. And you know, sometimes we are so cotton-picking preoccupied with what we've got to do that we are totally ignorant of what God wants to do. What God wants to do is off screen. What we want to do is right smack dab in the middle of our face. And yes, we all go through that. I'll give you one example that took place yesterday. It wasn't really profound. But you may know that Friday... um, I'm I'm sort of in the crazy mode, um, taking what I've studied during the rest of the week and seeking to prepare um, the message and be quiet to listen to the Word of God. I'm sort of like uh, typically focused on that and everything else is out here. Well, I recognized that I was beginning to look like a shaggy dog there was time for a haircut and this one place that I, I go to gets me a haircut and I'm in and out in 10 minutes. Yes. Um, but you know, God has a sense of humor and occasionally He breaks through with all of us basically saying, hey, I've got kingdom business that I want to get done. Now, would you be quiet long enough and listen and do what I prepared for you to do? (laughs) Difficult, isn't it? So, in my case, part of the entree with folks is the fact that that I'm clergy. 
you know, folks begin the usual kind of conversation. So what do you do for a living, etc., etc.? Well, I'm a Messianic Jewish rabbi, which sometimes begins a conversation. <laughs> you don't have to have a title like that in order to share the Word of God with people. God can give you an entree in your life, in your reality, in your scheme of things. But in my case, the gal um, cut my hair and, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, it's one of these not quite prayer. And uh, in any event, I asked her, I said to her, are you a woman of faith? It caught her by surprise and her response was, I've decided not to decide. You know, and that really deeply troubled me. Because what it said to me was simply that for this gal, um, anything having to do with spiritual life with God was totally off screen, totally irrelevant, made absolutely no difference. I really didn't have the opportunity to sit there and say, well, let me talk to you. Let me share the, uh, the truth of the word of God with you that you need God, etc. I just went in the car and prayed for her. I ju that, that God would speak to this gal, that she would recognize her need for God. But the truth is, folks, every single one of us has been called to be a priest, to serve God in mediating between people and Him in, in intercession, in praying for those around us who don't know Yeshua, including members of our family and friends and colleagues that we work with. And then as God opens the door, He is the one who has to open the door and He, His Spirit has to put the words in our mouth. Then we speak and say what He wants us to say and it comes out. It, it's all about Him. It's not our shtick, right? We've been called to be a, a priestly people to proclaim the excellencies of Him, the awesomeness of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Part of the process, just like the priests had to do they had to be clean. And Peter spends a great deal of time in this epistle talking about the need for being clean. In verse 11 and 12 here in, in this chapter, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sin, sinful desires which war against your soul live such lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Peter begins with the basic reality. For him as a Jew, uh, it was a short hop. He really didn't need to dwell on it. But the truth is for all of us who are followers of Yeshua, you and I are aliens. 
you know, not these Star War kind of aliens, but we are aliens. We're total strangers. I mean, yes, we get up in the morning and we get dressed and we eat breakfast and get in our cars and go to work or go to school or go shopping like everybody else. But we're not like everybody else. We're creatures that look like everybody else, but underneath, we're aliens. We have a different mechanism that operates within us, spiritual mechanism. We're committed to a totally different set of values than our society around us. And where Joy and I live, Isaiah, that's becoming more and more and more evident. You know, every time when I drive on one of the major streets to my left, there's a big sign saying, Hippie Shack. You know, complete with the psychedelic colors and uh, all the other um, paraphernalia-looking things from the, from the 60s and 70s. And I think to myself... Did I get in the time machine and go backwards uh, about 20 or 30 years here? And then all around, you know, you drive and, and there are signs saying, uh, kind care. And uh, those of us who have been around for a while know that this is simply a pot shop. Medical marijuana, but... All around... Um, at the Men's Chavara, Mark Miller gave a presentation about the homosexual um, agenda in the United States. And one of the things he pointed out was the fact that in Massachusetts, the school system requires school children to have diversity training. They, he showed us some booklets that have titles such as My Two Moms and how that this is becoming more and more reality. By the way, in Israel, the Knesset voted down the proposal for civil marriage. Um, but, but the truth, folks, is we are we're living in a pagan society. A pagan society. I mean, what this gal said to me yesterday was such a, in a sense, a slap in the face. But but at the same t by the same token, it was a reality uh, check for the majority of folks around us. God is an irrelevant notion. People, 99% of American uh, society, according to Gallup, say that they believe in God. But then you ask, what does that mean? And it means uh, a God who is very convenient that I can put in a box when I, when I need him. And then when I am done with him, uh, when I need him, I pull him out. When I'm done with him, I put him back in. We're strangers, we're aliens. And what Peter is saying, that part of that, part of our functioning and flourishing in the society 
is we need to be on guard against defilement inside and out. Earlier in chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, rid yourself, put off your dirty clothes, of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander of every kind. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. What does that mean? I remember memorizing these verses as, as a young child, of course, in the King James. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And from this perspective... so much of how it is read by fellow believers is very much through legalistic lenses. You know, sort of like the Victorian mindset. I don't know if you knew that um, in the 19th century, um, if you had a piano, the legs of the piano were called limbs and they had to be covered by these little curtains. I'm serious. Um, of course, you may have heard of the chastity belt and so on and so forth. And sometimes we come into the Word of God with that kind of a, of a mindset. And you know what it does? It promotes more of the stuff within us. Why? Because if we endeavor to keep ourselves clean then the result will be more of what we do ourselves and what scripture says that the fruit of the flesh is garbage. Self-reformation does not work. Amen. Does not work. Self-examination, self-reformation does not work, folks. It produces more of the same. Even if we outwardly seem to get rid of stuff, inwardly, as Yeshua says, we're rotten. The other part of the issue is that from a believing mindset, an evangelical mindset, folks look at, at the word lust and everything they see is, is pollution and defilement and pornography and garbage and so on and so forth. Now, one basic problem with that, and that is in Scripture, the word that's translated lust simply means, a lot of times it simply means desire or passion. And I stand before you to tell you that there's a basic problem with that kind of a mindset because God is a passionate being. The Word of God is full of examples where the Lord pours out His heart making statements such as, I am zealous for Zion. I, I'm zealous for you. Um, I'm zealous for my name great deal of passion you know we see the example the good example of David when he is dancing in the presence of God passionately passion is of God folks what makes the difference is how it's being used 
problem is we only see the negative, and the negative is there. Good example, of course, is the episode of the children of Israel in the desert. And they got tired of the old manna. You know, it was manna in the morning, manna at noon, manna at supper time. And um, they started to, to cry. The whole nation started to cry. You can imagine how pathetic a scene it was. Three million people crying. Um, and what led to it was the mixed multitude, the, the hodgepodge of Egyptians and others who came along with them, who lusted exceedingly, according to the American standard. In other words, they, they, they had an extreme case of what we would call a quail attack, Mac attack. Gotta have it, now! I will take no for an answer. And of course, part of the picture was that people murmured against God and said, Lord, you had nothing better to do. Bring us out here so we would suffer. And back in Egypt, we had all this good stuff, you know, all this free food, and we just uh, enjoyed it and, and took chunks. And now we have this, this um, poor man's food. So yes, there are negative examples. And of course, Yeshua speaks about um, challenging men in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And James puts it this way, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire He's dragged away and enticed. Again, remember that the word, both in Greek and in Hebrew, is neutral. Epithemia and ta'ava. It's a neutral word. Ta'ava just means a strong passion. What makes the difference is the source and the object. In other words, where does the passion come from? What is it focused on? If it comes from God and if it's directed towards God, it's an awesome thing. And I want to tell you that people who are passionless, who are afraid of having passion for God, having strong desire for God, will never amount to much in the kingdom of God. Yeshua said, the kingdom of God advances forcefully and forceful men lay hold of it. In other words, it requires a passion on our heart to turn our face towards God. Passion is a wonderful thing. It's like the difference between fire that can be in the hearth in a fireplace and warm on a cold winter night or it can be a forest fire. God wants us to be people of passion. He is passionate. But it needs to be led, directed, controlled and empowered by the Spirit of God. 
obviously, if it isn't, then what comes forth is our anger and our junk and, and our lust for things that we have no business thinking about. We look at things, we covet them, and we don't have the good sense to say, I'm not going to go there. Because the world around us, and unfortunately, the body of Messiah a lot of times has the same attitude of, you go for the gusto, you grab it. And the Word of God demands that we have boundaries. So how do you know which is a good passion, which is a bad passion? That's where the milk of the Word of God comes, folks. The Word of God is alive and actively powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. It brings about separation between what is of God and what is not. You and I really don't have the perspective, the clarity, the understanding to know what is kosher, what is of God, what is not. And that's why we sometimes dive into all kinds of things we have absolutely no business diving into. So we walk by faith. We depend on the Spirit of God to lead us into all truth. To establish the right kind of boundaries, not the legalistic kind of boundaries. And one of the boundaries that we have established at Yeshua Tzion is we encourage ministry to take place along gender lines, not across gender lines. What, what do I mean by that? Yes, you know, we're not like the Orthodox where the women sit on one side and the men sit on the other side. And, and where the, the guys will not shake the hand of a woman, God forbid, because some defilement might jump from back and forth. Um, what we simply mean is that intensive ministry, such as discipleship and long-term counseling, really has to take place from men to men and women to women. And there are tons and tons of examples when that basic guideline has not been followed where people get into all kinds of trouble. Because the wrong kind of passion gets, gets sparked and, and gets into a fire stage. But much of the time, folks, we proceed in faith trusting that God will show us what is and what isn't right. What is the right kind of passion? What isn't the right kind of passion? Paul tells us that if you sow to the Spirit, you reap life everlasting. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. In other words, if you learn and are committed to following after the Spirit, to being yielded to God's control... then what will be produced will be good stuff. You are, it's basic horticulture. You're, you are nurturing the right kind of plant. Giving food, water, etc. If you are caught up with your own emotions and you pursue those, 
without God being in the picture, guaranteed at some point you're going to get into trouble. Everything, everything in our life has to be filtered through the glasses of who God is and His presence in our life and the direction of the Spirit of God. If it, do, if it doesn't, we cultivate the wrong kind of passion. That's what Peter is really saying when he's talking about abstain from fleshly lust. Don't pursue the things that are produced and driven by the flesh, by your own inclination. And, and the flesh, by the way, is defined by that part of us that has nothing to do with God or that is opposed to God. So simply... Ask yourself a question when you feel yourself caught up with passion and intensity. Ask yourself this basic question. Where is God in the picture? And furthermore, invite the Lord to come into the picture and say, Lord, here it is. I'm being strongly driven, strongly motivated. I'm feeling very strongly about this stuff. What do you have to say about this? I want to listen. I want to wait on you. I want to do as you give me discernment and instruction. So yes, God wants passion. He wants us to be passionate beings. But it has to be led, motivated, driven by the Spirit of God. And you know, sometimes, folks, it's, it's, it, it's like the farming picture. You, you sow and, and you water and you wait and nothing seems to happen. Scripture is full of these farming pictures. James in particular but because your eyes are on the Lord, He speaks to you in His good time. He gives you the vision of what He wants you to do and how He wants you to follow. And you wait on Him for Him to give you the needed direction and needed instruction. And yes, you are passionate for what God wants you to do. But it's driven by the Spirit, not by what you think you ought to do or you ought not to do. And God has given us a vision here at Yeshua Tzion. Deeply based on a bedrock conviction that the Word of God is what God wants us to focus on. He wants us to focus on, on worship of Him. He wants us to orient ourselves outward. And all of that, all of that is done in absolute humility knowing that we have absolutely nothing to give God. I mean, it, you know, that's kind of hard on the, uh, on the ego, isn't it? You know, when Yeshua says, without me you can do nothing, our inclination is to say, okay, Lord, let's not get radical here. Without you, I can do a couple of things. I can do this, maybe I can do that. And the Lord says, no, 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 negatory. Without me, you can do zip. Amen. And we trust God. 
And we step forth, we do what he's called us to do. We learn to drink more milk. We learn to give it away to others because he's called us to be priests, to declare his excellency. We learn and we receive his passion for those who need to come into the kingdom. And that's our focus. That's our vision. Those are priorities. And God does the rest. And it's all about Him. Lord God, we recognize our absolute and complete and total bankruptcy without You. And we thank You, Lord, for getting through to us and showing us that. Forgive us, Lord, for all the times when we fight you and, and we try to prove to you that, yes, we can do all kinds of stuff. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. We pray, Lord God, for the spirit of knowledge of revelation to know you better, to know you fully. We pray, Lord, for a hunger, a passion for your word. Pray, Lord God, for each one of us to be driven and motivated by your spirit to dive into your word. Lord God, thank you that you're able to transform us and transform our habits. Give us all, Lord, a passion for what you have to say in your word so that as we feed on it, it will overflow. The milk of your word will overflow to others. And that we would be able to declare your goodness to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being called your kids and your servants. We love you, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.